So tomorrow is National Signing Day for college football. The early signing period begins. Uh, should be a pretty busy day for JMU. They've got a large, large crop of commits. I'm not even sure if I remember them having this many early commitments for football um, for the December signing period. Since that's been along, I could go back and double check the exact numbers and everything. But it seems like a big, a big, um, a big crop of high school recruits coming in, which is notable considering they're also very active in the transfer portal right now. It is. I mean, they're they're active on both fronts, but yes, very active in the portal. Yeah, somebody. I think one of the one of the major accounts that tra- tracks all the transfer stuff was tweeted out the other day. The most aggressive pro FBS programs in the portal right now, and Jamie was on the list with their is it eight now uh, transfers coming in committed. Um, it's eight. Yeah, so which is which is interesting to see them you know, hitting that so hard and also having a large high school class, but not surprising when you consider they still had some room to pick up more scholarships players. They were, and they had a lot of seniors. Yeah. A lot of seniors. They were at about, I think 77 for the year last year. Um, and without the 25 cap that had been in previous years, this could end up, end up being a rather large class of incoming players for 2023 yeah they have 18 verbal commits out of high school in eight transfer portal guys i mean yeah there's no 25 rule right now um the ncaa earlier this year uh, passed a thing where saying till the next two seasons so this 2023 and 24 classes won't abide by that there's between portal and covid years and having to mix that so it's just 85 scholarships is what you got to worry about i imagine jamie's gonna probably hit it just being how many guys are bringing in at this point and we don't know how many of the guys who have a year of eligibility remaining, including a guy like Isaac Ugu, are going to take it. Um, but it's on the table, so we'll see what happens. Which he won't count toward the number, I don't believe. Um, the COVID guys, I don't think they count toward that number. I might be wrong. But yeah. otherwise, yeah, it's a very big class. And signing day um, will be eventful tomorrow. And we'll see probably a lot of graphics popping up through the day of saying each guy signed. Yeah, well, we can probably almost make this a weekly feature. Is Noah, take us through the... <laughs> The, the most recent commits as far as the portal, uh, and then we'll move on to the high school guys because tomorrow's their big day. Yeah, so I guess we'll total in a span of 36 hours yesterday and the day before. They had five um, five commits between the portal and high school, but we're starting with portal, you said? Yeah, let's get the portal guys. Okay. The so, so they got you know a guy like Elijah Surratt, who's Cheese's brother from St. Francis, transfer. All-American freshman at the FCS level, really good guy, 700 yards, 13 touchdowns, I believe, productive. Mm-hmm. He'll make an impact. He's 6'3", I think, so pretty tall receiver for them. Then you got a guy like Brett Griffiths, who has four years of eligibility left, a transfer quarterback from Wake, and he's a guy I think can push Jordan McLeod for that starting spot. It's obviously McLeod is the favorite coming in with the previous experience and knowing how Kurt Signetti operates guy with previous experience is going to have the, the leg up, but I think, you know, he's if he shows what he did in his high, senior of high school, then it's going to be a good competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll start with um, with Elijah Surratt, another wide receiver, the third wide receiver now, another tall wide receiver. Yep. Um, you know, Phoenix Sproles comes in, you know, kind of physically resembling a Chris Thornton type. Um, a little bit smaller guy, a little bit taller, a little yeah. bit taller, yeah. <laughs> but then it's it's noticeable like with the high school guys and 
you know, Elijah, yeah. that these are tall targets. Uh, Elijah Surratt stands out to me is that almost a quarter of his catches were touchdowns. Yeah, uh, He's is. a guy you can look for in the red zone. And given the last couple of seasons, the red zone has been, you know, if Jamie's had an issue, the red zone might be on the list. Um, it was better this year, though. Yeah. Ha- having that kind of guy seems like a, a pretty solid addition to to this class. Yeah, he's a proven guy, knows what he can do at the college level. Obviously, the FCS, but Jamie's not afraid to go FCS route right now, considering they were FCS, you know, 12 mm-hmm. months ago at this time. So, obviously that. But, you know, I forgot to – I left out, I guess, a Marion Dollison who, who committed, you know, last week, but after we recorded. He's, I think, the guy that reminds him the most of Chris Thornton being a 5'9", speedy slot receiver who mm-hmm. has some chemistry with Jordan McLeod. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned the FCS – to FBS and things. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably some people who look at it as, okay, JMU's FBS now. Why are they going after FCS players? But I think JMU's success this year just goes to show that the top FCS players could have played FBS all along. It's always been just a matter of depth and, you know, teams that have, you know, every position filled out to play at that level. So really no surprise at all that they can go in and get, guys who have contributed contributed won all conference honors things like that at the FCS level and expect them to you know be really good Sunbelt players yeah I think so and I think it also comes into the fact that JMU knows how to you know evaluate talent at that level and, and they can see who's good and who's not and I mean you saw it worked and I think that you know it, it obviously it's gonna work it worked this year it worked in the past and it's, it's trending that way again yeah and yet another set of brothers um playing jamie football which it seems like uh there's always a set of brothers and now it's the Surratts and um you know i think you know dave rigger uh mentioned it on his show the other day that you know they don't necessarily uh have a strong physical resemblance as far as size is she's not a mm-hmm. huge guy out there playing defensive back but you know this is a tall lengthy wide receiver who as we mentioned before you know just adds to that dynamic um as this ever kind of changing receiving room that's going to look a lot different than last year. It will, and I think, you know, I think of the seven guys they have coming in new, I think four of them, four or five, I think it's either six or seven, four of them are six foot or taller, and I think that's going to help make this two room a lot taller than it was last year, and it it, it should pay off, I think, in the long run. All right, so let's talk about the guys who are going to get them the ball because JMU already had a transfer quarterback committed for a while in Jordan McLeod, who I think – at least up until the other day, was the presumed starter going into next year uh, and into the spring. And as you mentioned, you know, maybe um, maybe he's got a challenge now, a challenger now in uh, the Wake Forest transfer. I think he might. I mean, obviously he's he's played college football. He's started at this level for many years. He knows what it takes. But I think, you know, Brett Griffiths, if anything, is a great backup to have. Yeah, and, you know, we saw what probably – turned JMU season from a great one to a good one this past fall was not having probably as good of a backup quarterback situation as they would have liked. Um, you know, if they're a little bit more solid under Sidner when Todd Santeo goes down, there's a good chance this team had won nine games, beat a really good Marshall team, um, finished first in the uh, Sun Belt East with no asterisk or tie or anything. Um so 
I mean, I think if you're JMU looking for it, it's not surprising that they went and got another quarterback. Are you surprised they were able to get one this this accomplished and this good to uh, come in where you know the starting job's just not going to be handed to Brett Griffiths? Yeah, I think I think that you know we saw it last year the starting job not being handed to Todd's and Tail. Obviously, though, it appeared pretty quickly he mm-hmm. was going to be the guy. But yeah, I think you know it's it's just same same situation. Yeah, I mean. I feel like it's a different situation because Centeno comes in. I think everybody knows if Centeno plays to his capabilities, he's going to win the starting job. Yeah. Brett Griffiths could come and have a great spring and still not win the job. Does it surprise you at all that a guy who is coming from a Power 5 school, a successful ACC school, is coming to a group of five school without the starting job kind of being you know, a given if he – like performs. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him a little bit yesterday. I'll have something out later this week on it. But the reason he left is he would have been sitting behind his own brother, and he wouldn't have had been able to start until his fifth year. I mean, they had Sam Hartman there this year. His brother's mm-hmm. presumed to be the starter next year, and then his brother's only think a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore. He's got a lot of eligibility left. So yeah. the big reason to leave him was you know find a place you can play and. And, you know, he's a Northern Virginia kid. He said he has a lot of friends to go to JMU. A lot of them, you know, most of them don't play sports. They're just at school. And I think, you know, that appealed to him a lot of, you know, he knows a lot of people at JMU already. And it, it just works out. And I think he, he sees there's a possibility that he can play, at least if it's not this year or the year after. It's it's not, it's within a couple of years at, mm-hmm. at the worst-case scenario. And I think that he liked that. Yeah, it's obviously a great fit for JMU because if, if Griffiths comes in – and wins the job great, then that means he's he's looking really good. If not, you know, you now have um, two guys that I think you're pretty high on with four to five years of eligibility left in Griffiths and um, Alonzo Burnett. Barnett. Um, that's a probably, given the transfer portal and how hard it is to keep guys, that's about as good a situation as you can hope for in the quarterback room. I mean, if you can keep all three of them (laughs) on campus for the next, you know, what? Lonza's got four years of eligibility left. He's got four years of eligibility left. McLeod's got two. You've got a really good quarterback room if you can keep them all on campus. Yeah, and you have to remember, too, that um, everybody talks about the portal going wild and it's free agency and it's this and that. The rule actually is. It's actually the one-time transfer rule. So a guy like Griffiths who comes in doesn't can't just automatically leave if he's not happy with the way things work out in the spring or if he's number two on the depth chart, which, you know, that's another pretty important factor when you have two transfer quarterbacks coming in. Like, you know, there's really nowhere for them to go unless they get some sort of waiver or something. Or you graduate. Yeah. If you have your degree, you can leave. That's true. So I think, you know, McLeod is using that to get into JMU. You mm-hmm. know, he's got a degree. That's how Tutson Tail. Um, yeah. Well, he, yeah, that's how he really had an extra opportunity to transfer. So a degree helps in that sense. But, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I mean, he just finished his freshman year of college. So he's at least yeah. got two years left of, of being at JMU. Because mm-hmm. you can graduate in three years. I think anything sooner than that is pretty hard to do. Yeah. and But, I mean, it just – a guy in his situation, and really any younger player, you know, and Elijah Surratt, you know, we've already talked about, any of those younger players, they kind of have to make sure they're stepping into the situation they want to be in uh, because they are locked in for at least a couple of years until they can, 
you know, maybe possibly transfer out as a grad student again. So to get those younger guys, um, and, you know, Kirsten Nay's talked about it before that, you know, there are academic reasons and things for Jamie to do this, but they basically look for guys who are either grad transfers or guys who have only been in college for a few semesters or less because it's because easier. of the academics, <laughs> but it also, like, you know, you can get those grad transfers in and you can keep those younger guys a little bit longer. Yeah, we, we did see it not work in their favor when with the uh, Duke quarterback last year with, mm-hmm. you know, academics, credits not transferring over, whatever it is. But, yeah, that, that definitely helps. But, you know, breaking news, I guess they just picked up a three-star tight end from Georgia. <laughs> um, oh, wow. You know, I think he was previously a big-time Liberty guy. I don't know if he was committed there, but very interested in Liberty, if at anything, and they were able to get him. So the recruiting class grows to 19 as we sit here. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's not. I didn't look at my phone when the uh, – Oh, I looked at when, my phone when, immediately. When, when the Twitter bird popped up on the top. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, breaking news on the Purple and Bold podcast. We don't always get that. But, yeah, Okay. <laughs> Tell me, well, as we're reading this, let's just go through. You know, Josh Pfeiffer, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, tell me what you know about him. Three-star kid from Georgia. You know, three-star on 24-7, too, so a legitimate three-star. Yeah. I mean, some guys say three-star, and it's like, where the heck is the three-star from mm-hmm. at? But, yes, three-star guy. He had visited Harvard. He did visit James Madison on the 16th, so yeah. this past weekend. And he's in. So Jamie was looking for a tight end. I knew they were interested in tight ends, and he seems to be a pretty good get. Um, I'll, I'll try to find some stats while we're sitting here. But you know, he is the number eighty-three overall tight end, um, or no, number seventy-one overall tight end in the country, and sixteen hundredth um, ranked overall prospect. Okay, yeah. So this is a good transition into. Knows how I planned it, but this is a good transition into the high school recruiting tomorrow, signing day. Um, getting the commitments right before signing day. Second, he is six guy, five two twenty five. Second recent commitment from Georgia, which is an area that I think the uh, Sun Belt move has opened up doors for JMU down there. Um, yeah, you talk about three star guys. Um, I have noticed that you see it on the Twitter bio a lot, and then you try to find where the actual three stars is. I'm wondering if that's one of those ploys where, uh, where people put three stars on there and then like hope it kind of manifests itself. <laughs> like somebody's like, oh, maybe he should be a three star. Like, but um, that's that's a digression. Um, yeah, some of the three star guys JMU's gotten have been ranked recently by On Three, the new recruiting. So I, they I they seem to evaluate yeah. the group of five guys maybe a little harder than two four seven has. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you mentioned if uh, if Pfeiffer is a three star two four seven, that's a fairly legit thing. That means he's been on the radar for some people for a while. Yeah, I think he has. I think you know he's a, he's a guy who's got Army offer, Navy offer, Harvard offer, so decently. Um, I found Chessy worthy. So. In 22 games played, according to Max Preps, which is sometimes accurate, sometimes not the best, but he had 41 from receptions for 537 yards, which averages 13.1 yards per catch and seven touchdowns. So he's a big dude, though, six foot five, two twenty-five. Yeah, and they play some play some legit high school football down in Georgia. So oh yeah, yeah. Um, let's just you know we got the the newest member here now. Let's kind of go over an overview of you know, what the signing day class for Wednesday morning should look like for JMU. Um, I think they're pretty high on basically everybody coming in. Um, 
I'll start with, we talked about this before we started recording a little bit, Ibrahim Barry, um, another one of those tall wide receivers we talked about coming in. The tallest. Yeah, did pick up an offer from Maryland uh, just yesterday. Um, but Noah seems to think he's probably still going to end up signing with Jamie tomorrow. I think he signs with Jamie tomorrow. I mean, I talked to him on the phone last week after Maxwell Moss committed, who is very good friends with him, talked to him on the phone. He seemed really excited to be going to the same school with him and playing on the same team as him again, so I think he sticks. Um, Maryland's enticing, but I think yeah. I think he, I think if, if Moss wasn't committed, I think I'd put it as a toss-up, but I think with Moss locked in to JMU, I think, I think he's locked in. Yeah. Um, well, just tell me, give me an overview of the entire class, the needs that they filled, and maybe who stands out to you um, behind somebody like, like Barry, who's just pure size athleticism is something that like stands out when you see his film. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the – we can stick with the receiver theme for a second, but like Yamir Knight, who's Wayne Knight's brother, mm-hmm. was just named Delaware Player of the Year by Max Preps. So, I mean, he's a, a guy, five foot nine, a speedy guy. He, I think he has an opportunity to make an impact. I think a lot of these younger receivers will have an opportunity to, to win some snaps next year. Um, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they bolstered defensive line a little bit with Michael McMullen from Phoebus down in Hampton. Um, you know, T.J. Barksdale, a safety from from South Carolina. You know, John Miller did an extraordinary job recruiting this class. You know, he had Jarvis Green locked up. Um, but overall, you got a guy like um, Dale Dangohe, the first three-star to commit to JMU in this class from Pennsylvania, who is a really good defensive lineman. I think he's got a shot next year. And, and you could just go down the line. There's a couple other guys, and you've got, you know, specialists locked up with, with Nathan Patterson, a kicker, and, and uh, Jack Mowry, a long snapper, a five-star long snapper at that, you know, the highest, technically the highest rated player in the class. Um, so I think it's been good. And then recently, I mean, they flipped Evan Spy, the coastal commit. They got Camarion Baldwin last night, another running back, and Gannon Weathersby um, over the weekend, a linebacker. So, They've been busy as of late, but, I mean, you look at Colin Carroll was the first commit. That was, I think, like April last year. Mm-hmm. And then it's picked up since, you know, August, which is, of course, what's going to happen, but for sure. Yeah. You look at um, – we were just talking about, you know, star ratings on 3, 2, 4, 7, all that stuff, which can be hit or miss when you're talking about group of five guys, really. Um, what kind of stands out to me is how accomplished this class is when you start seeing – all the graphics coming across social media where Jamie is like, congratulations on being player of the year in this state and this state yeah. and this state. Congratulations on your state, state championships. championships. A lot of like state champions. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it can't hurt to recruit winners and guys who know how to, <laughs> how to win games and are leading their programs to, you know, good heights because they're winning state championships. You know, it's not, you know, no offense to, you know, Riverheads or anybody. It's not, Virginia class one state championships that you know these teams are winning either these are some private school championships in Pennsylvania and things like that like I mean Riley Robel a guy who is an offensive line commit but he mm-hmm. plays D-line too he's really good I mean there's been people tweeting like power fives you need to get on him and I think Kurt Zignetti's kind of just counting down the days till he signs the paper and can move on with himself on that mm-hmm. one but I mean he's another guy that you know is a really big impact player in this class yeah you know uh, Baldwin um, who just committed uh, was the MVP for North Carolina in the uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. He went against Shrine. Jarvis Green. Yeah, and th- that's a legit high school all-star game. The best players from those two states that both produce a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's a pretty significant accomplishment to uh, to stand out in that game. Yeah, I mean, he, he played well from North Carolina. And I think, you know, JMU, if you look at this class, 
there's still the Virginia guys there, but it's predominantly three states. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, we can mix in, and a little yeah. bit of Maryland. I think those four states right there is where they, they, they hit hard, and then, of course, they went to Georgia and got a couple guys. But mm-hmm. overall, I think, you know, Signetti's not really fraying away from what he's he knows, and I think that's big time. Yeah. Um, well, we hit on it just briefly, and while we're still talking about high school recruiting, just tell me about flipping a player from Coastal Carolina. Obviously, coaching change there has something, to do, has something <laughs> to do with it, but always always a win on the recruiting trail when you get somebody that you're, like, this year, your top conference competition wanted. Yeah, I mean, Evan Spivey, a defensive back, you know, he's a three-star guy. Um, he's good. I think, you know, flipping him right before signing day is big. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, flipping somebody who had a coaching change is different than flipping someone straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it's it's a big-time add to this class. I mean, defensive backs, when you look this year, a lot of young guys made impact in the secondary, and I think that may be, you know, a recruiting pitch to be like, if you're good enough, you will play. And I think that, you know, a guy like Chauncey Logan or Brent Austin kind of displayed that. Yeah, and you just got to what my next question was going to be is who's going to be that guy out of this class or which is kind of a possible effect because you know i certainly <laughs> wouldn't have predicted that Brent austin would be in the starting lineup you know as soon as he stepped on campus i wouldn't have necessarily pick chauncey logan either, i would have picked him quicker re- regardless of you know the fact that you know knowing he was a great athlete just to come in and start as a true freshman yeah was a bit of a surprise oh, oh wayne knight is on the field a lot of games like he's yeah. not you know not in the starting, not in the two deep, but you know they have situations where they want to use him, whether it be in the offense or special teams. Is there somebody that you really think, oh, this is a guy who really has a chance to play from day one? True freshman. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you two names. We're gonna go Jack Mowry, long snapper. Okay. That job is wide open. He's a really good long snapper. I think you know, I think he's got a pretty good shot at getting that one. Mm-hmm. And you look at D'Angelo Pons, the lone Florida commit. As a true freshman. But he's also, I believe, a three-star quarter from Miami. Mm-hmm. And Miami, if, you, if you're playing Miami, you're good. And, I mean, yeah. he was at private school and, and things like that. So I think, you know, if there's a guy coming out of this class to, to make an impact day one, I give it to him. Yeah. You, you talk about Miami high school football where, you know, the kind of quarterbacks you're going against are the Lamar Jacksons and the Tatsanteos of the world. And the yeah. uh, Jordan McLeod. Yeah. I mean, he's, from, ta- he's yeah. from Tampa, but yeah. – same um, thing. So, yeah, you, you're already fairly tested um, if you're playing defensive back down there. Okay, good to know. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit to basketball, unless you had anything else you wanted to add as far as recruiting or you see any other uh, commitments coming on your phone before we Nobody gears. else has committed right. yet since we talked. I mean, yeah. that one, I was like, okay, another commit. Yeah. But, you know, are they done? I don't know because, you know, signing days in less than 24 hours and they're still going, I, I – want to say they're done but at the same time they're probably not yeah i mean they're coming in closing in on 20 guys for early signing period that's a we'll see how many of them actually sign that's true i mean i think most of them should sign this time around um but you know i think high school kids are coming to a close but i think portal i think they're still looking yeah and you probably have some high school guys who want to get signed as soon as they can because they know the portal oh yeah could take away (laughs) some opportunities from them so uh it could be could be it should be a busy day over at the Plecker Athletic Center tomorrow with uh, I don't think it's it faxes any longer the scan machine is going to be going but, uh, <laughs> but yeah it'll be it'll be busy um, 
we can spend a few minutes on basketball before we before we wrap it up before the last one before Christmas. Maybe the last one of the year. I'll have to look at the calendar and see what we want to do um, next week. But yeah, um, yeah, basketball. JMU men are the highest scoring offense in the country. JMU women on a winning streak, looking good, heading towards conference play for for both programs really it is and i think you know we thought jamie football basketball men's basketball is gonna be good obviously they are their three losses are to two teams that were ranked in the top five at the time of playing one that's still there and then the other one was just a heartbreaker in overtime and i think you know that that shows this team is good and and you know they're averaging well over 90 points a game they just blew out liu which i mean it's a good, but it's kind of expected. So I think, you know, it would be really cool to see what happens at start of conference play and see how good they actually are. Yeah, I mean, I think a word that's been popping up into my social media a lot recently has been context when it comes to JMU men. Uh, they're averaging 92.6 points per game, number one in the country as far as scoring. Um, but, yeah, they've played an odd schedule when it comes to you know, three non-D1 teams, a lot of – extremely lowly ranked uh, uh, Division One teams, and then, you know, two of the best programs in the ACC. And you know, and they almost won one of those. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been weird. And that was the game where they didn't score very many points. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's been a little bit weird. And, you know, when you look at a 9-3 and three start, which um, probably should go to 10-3 and three tomorrow if they take care of business at Coppin State, that would be the first time they've won 10 non-conference games in a long time. I have to go back and look exactly when, but I know it's been a long time. Um, that would be, you know, quite an accomplishment. But, you know, you talk about the context. They haven't played a great schedule, which, you know, certainly contributes to the high scoring, certainly contributes to the number of wins they've had. But there's also, you know, none of these games are gimmies, and they're completely dominating these teams. Texas State has been the most consistent team in the Sun Belt over the past five years in the regular season. They lost to a Division three team the other day. Uh, I've covered, you know, before Mark Byington got here, I covered some pretty lowly losses over at the combo. You know, the Citadel has come here and won. Coppin State, you know, as a you know sub-300 RPI and net team has come to Harrisonburg and won. So, yeah, you have to keep in mind the schedule and the level of competition, but you also have to keep in mind where JMU has gone over the past three years that, you know, people want to blow off them, you know, beating a team by 30 when no win was guaranteed a few years ago. Yeah, I think for sure. I think, you know, that's good for confidence boosting. And, and it just shows where Mike Byington has his program headed. And I think it's, it's in good hands. And I think, you know, if he start, if they keep winning by 30 in conference play, then I think we can say they're legit. Yeah. And, well, there, there's some games they should win by 30 in conference play. I mean, you know. ULM is uh, yeah. is down there with the uh, LIUs of the world when it comes to the net rankings and stuff. But um, they should face some fairly decent challenges, too. And I mean, it, if they it, blow Marshall out by 30, then I think we can yeah. say they're good. Yeah, well, that the Marshall game, that could be, you know, 160 to 130, the way those, <laughs> way those two teams want to get up and down the floor. So we'll see how that goes. Um, on the women's side, um, they're going to play a game here, you know, probably fairly shortly after we finish recording. They play... Uh, on Tuesday afternoon, back-to-back games up in Philly against Eastern Michigan, and then either Wright State or St. Joe's. I know they're hoping to face St. Joe's on the second day because that'll be a little bit of a strength of schedule boost for them if they can get that game. 
Um, but they've been playing really well. Uh, they've been winning a lot. Uh, maybe <laughs> saying they've been playing really well is a bit of a stretch because they've been winning close games. But winning is the uh, bottom line, isn't it? But winning is a win. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you win by one. If you win by 30, counts the same in the record book. And I think, you know, Shauna Regan will take that. Yeah. And, you know, the most interesting aspect of the women's um, holiday season is probably that, once again, when we get off uh, the recording here, they're going to take on Eastern Michigan. And I believe Kobe King Hawaii will be suited up and probably get her first minutes of the season uh, for JMU. A... Just a big-time addition uh, with the Texas transfer. It'll be really interesting to see how she's kind of implemented into the offense as, you know, they're also getting, you know, Anna Goodman minutes now. She's back from injury and trying to trying to fit everybody in and figure out how these pieces go together is probably going to be the most interesting thing over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it'll be the most interesting, but I also think if it works, it's going to be this team is going to go from being yeah good and winning games by squeaking them out to – really good and, and winning by a good margin. I think that that's probably what Sean Regan's hoping for, and we'll see if it works. Yeah, and it, what's what's notable, too, is that O'Regan has always been the kind of coach. We, we were just talking about the men, and they're fine. They'll play 11 guys and rotate them in and out and, you know, have really good players who don't get more than 15 minutes in a game, like, because they're they're doing that. O'Regan has always been the guy who's wants to have a tight eight-person rotation and he's gone beyond that already this year. He's been pretty pretty deep on his bench and only going to have to do that more or figure out a rotation that just leaves somebody out um, if he continues to do that. And like I said, Anna Goodman comes back, scores 13 in her first game of the season, back from ACL injury. Um, so she's going to be in line. She's going to be getting minutes from somebody. And you would think King Huea has got to be on the floor just by the the rave reviews she's gotten from the coaching staff in practice. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she's a scorer. We've, we've seen in their Juco numbers, and I think, you know, she's got to find her way on the court. Yeah. I just think it's a matter of if he wants to play with a big rotation or not. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see if they can go ahead and get a victory um, today as we record this at Eastern – or in Philadelphia against Eastern Michigan. If they can come out with a couple of wins here – before Christmas, and then they get into Sunbelt play as well around New Year's. Um, I think basically everybody who resides over at the Atlantic Union Bank Center will be pretty happy uh, <laughs> with 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 that um, with that introduction in the conference play if they're sitting at around ten wins each. I think um, they'll be very happy. Yeah, that practice gym will be lively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. I think that'll just about do it for us today. We hit on a good amount of stuff. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, I guess we'll just say happy holidays to everybody and thank you all for listening to us on the Purple and Bold podcast, which is the JMU Sports Podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. With me, as per usual, Noah Fleischman. And thank you for clicking and tuning in. <laughs>